0: So get ready. It's time to suit up, to show up, and to move the ball. Hey, ballers. It's great to be back with you for another episode of Move the Ball. If this is your first time listening, welcome. And if you've been a part of the Move the Ball movement for quite some time, welcome back. I'm glad that you are here with us today. As you all know, this podcast is all about business, branding, sports, and of course, how to move the ball. A few things before we get into today's episode. First, if you have not already done so, make sure that you subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode, and also share the show with a few friends. Secondly, you all know that the football season has recently kicked off, and one other thing that has kicked off is the release of the Move the Ball Merchandise Fall Collection. There's a link in the show notes, but if you go to wemovetheball.com, you can check out all the new pieces pick up some of the latest swag and continue to rock that you're a part of the Move the Ball movement. I've designed some cool, fun pieces, so I think you'll like checking them out. And then lastly, if you follow me on social media, you've probably seen that things are progressing with launching my new book, Dominate the Game, How Life Changes When You Show Up. And if you wanna join me on the journey, get some behind the scenes looks and insider tips about the book, maybe get some freebies along the way, go to dominateandmove.com. There's also a link in the show notes for that and join me on the mailing list. All right, for today's episode, I've got an incredible guest joining us inside the huddle with us today and ready to share his perspectives, his insights and experiences, and what he has done to move the ball is Irving Fryer. Irv, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, what's going on? I love that title, the book, the whole concept, move the ball. That's just a statement of hope, where we always maintain our hope because when we give up hope, when we release hope, then progress ceases. So continue to hope and then your hope you can move the ball, keep the ball moving. Absolutely, yeah. I like that. I love that. But, But thanks for asking me to be on today.
0: I love it. And I'm so glad to have you here with us. And we spoke probably a week and a half, two weeks ago, and we were talking about you're from New Jersey. And so you got to let me take a trip down memory lane. And so (laughs) I was really excited. It was was fun to do that. So I appreciate, I told you that before, I appreciate our conversation and Mm -hmm. just kind of getting to take that trip down some old memories, some fun memories. So let me share a little bit about your background for our listeners before we get into our conversation. Irv is a retired NFL wide receiver who played college football at the University of Nebraska, where he was recognized as an All-American. Irv was drafted as the first overall pick in the 1984 draft by the New England Patriots. During Irv's 17 seasons in the league, he was a five-time Pro Bowler, had multiple 1,000-yard receiving seasons. In addition to playing for New England, he also played for the Miami Dolphins, the Philadelphia Eagles, and the then-called Washington Redskins. All right, Irv, are you ready to move the ball?
1: I'm ready to move the ball. Let's move the ball. (laughs) Good, good. Let's
0: go. So you played football at Nebraska, and I want to get into your football journey here in just a minute. But before we do that, I just want to take a quick moment and give a special shout out to Mickey Joseph, which I'm sure many listening are aware that recently, Mickey was named the interim head coach. Mickey was the first African-American head coach for any sport at Nebraska in their entire history. So I It's a great accomplishment. He's paving the way there. So a huge shout out to Mick. He definitely moves the ball and I'm excited for him.
1: And we want to make sure, particularly those of us of African-American descent, we want to make sure we support him in this assignment that he has. He has a, a major, major task that he's undertaking that he's kind of been not thrust into, but I'm sure that's something that he's been aspiring to do and that's be a head coach. So we want to wish him all the luck. We want to pray for him we're making history right in front of our eyes.
0: Absolutely. I'm definitely excited to see his journey here this football season. And Mick was actually on the show last season, for those that might not be familiar. Uh, We had a great chat. He was with LSU at the time. We talked about him, his journey in the football Mm -hmm. career from playing at Nebraska as well to being a coach, winning a national championship at LSU. And so I'm excited to see where he goes next with this new assignment and what he does at Nebraska. And so for those Listen to the show regularly. I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that episode if you haven't checked it out. Mick does a great job, and so I will also put a link in the show notes for that episode to make it easy, since it's been a while since we did the show, and you can go have a listen.
1: Yeah.
0: All right. Now we're going to keep things moving and talk about your journey. So (laughs) you're familiar with my story when I've been in love with football my entire life, even though I didn't grow up in a football family. Been a student of the game since I was four. You being someone who has spent a considerable amount of time around the sport, what was it for you that made you excited about the game?
1: Well, I mean, it's just challenging. The things that you have to deal with from preparation to go out in the field and perform to the obstacles of actually performing and then having to deal with the outcome of whatever the reality turns out to be, whether it's a winner or a loss, those are attributes that sports develop in people that actually can be carried over into real life. As we know, sports are for young people. <laughs> when we get old, we can't do what we were able to do when we're younger. So for most of us, even though I played 17 years in the NFL, when I retired, I was still a young man. I was in my latter 30s, but I still had the rest of my life to live. And those characteristics that I learned in sports, you know, I was able to take those and use that same energy that same focus, that same determination, that same ability to deal with the realities that happen in life with the ups and the downs. I was able to transition those into what people would call normal life, but life after football and use them to be successful. So that's what I love most about sports. That's what I love most about football. It gave me the ability and it gives us, those who participate in sports, it gives us the ability to use the tools that we have and that we develop in sports to use those tools in everyday life.
0: Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, there's so many lessons and strategies and tools that you take away from football, from other competitive sports that you can apply beyond the game to be successful. I mean, I write about so many of those in my Move the Ball book. Um, Mm -hmm. There's just so many things that are necessary that you need to do to be successful and you can get a lot of those tools from playing and being a competitive athlete.
1: Yeah, one of the things that I really thrive on, I guess, is being able to move the ball when I don't feel like it. A lot of people will live their lives based on how they feel. So they won't do certain things. They won't get things accomplished because they don't feel like doing it. They don't feel that they don't have that right energy that they need to feel to continue to move the ball. And I've been able to operate when I was playing ball, even now in the latter part of my life, after football, to continue to move forward, whether I feel like it or not. (laughs) (laughs)
0: And you bring up a really great point because something that competitive athletes do is they show up, whether they feel like showing up or not, they show up and they perform. And actually, that's the reason why I wrote this new book, or that was the inspiration for the new book was I was at dinner with a sports agent and we were talking about competitive athletes and how they make good employees Mm. because they always show up ready to Mm. perform. And so as we were in this conversation, I was thinking about, you know, how am I showing up every day, right? Am I showing up the right way to be able to move the ball? And so I was like, you know what, I'm going to write this book. So at the end of every show, we say until next time, make sure you suit up, you show up and you move the ball. And so this book is structured around those three parts, suiting up your mentality, your preparation, showing up the right way. And when you do those things, you will move the ball. So I completely agree with you that you got to show up when you're not feeling it and when you're feeling it both.
1: Yeah, I know I'm kind of jumping ahead now, but I'm a pastor, Mm -hmm. been pastoring for 19 years. When I first started pastoring, I've been out of football probably three years. And that was something that I struggled with tremendously. And that was other people who had not had the background and the training that I've had. People in the church, you know, making excuses, not showing up, not coming in on time, not carrying out their commitments, not doing what they say they're going to do. And I just wasn't familiar with that kind of mentality. Because I didn't come from that, you know, in football, particularly professional football. But yeah, when you get to the college level, you got people depending on you. Mm-hmm. You got to be there on time. Right. And not only do you have to show up on time, but you have to perform at a high level every day. Yes. No excuses, no excuses. So uh, that's what I come from. I had to really get used to how the majority of people are and how they carry themselves mm-hmm. with regards to, again, whether I feel like it or not depends on whether I'm going to do it or not.
0: Right. And you bring up a great point about the having to perform every single day. And when you're in the collegiate sports environment, when you're in the professional sports environment, if you are not performing every day, there's somebody else ready to perform and take that spot. So you feel that that's always top of mind. Whereas sometimes in corporate people get a little bit complacent. They don't have Mm -hmm. someone on the sideline ready to jump in on their position, right? You're not going to get fired if you don't perform one day, but it's very, very different in the sports world. You always have to be on. And so you're always thinking about how i I need to show up and I need to perform or this opportunity is not going to be there for me tomorrow, possibly if I don't.
1: Right. Then also there's another level to that in sports, particularly in football. Not only do I have to show up every day, not only do I have to perform every day, but I have someone right across from me trying to keep me from performing, trying to keep me from showing up. So there's adversity every day that goes along with me having to push myself and to overcome and all of that. So, yeah, it was really beneficial for me. And I think sports are really beneficial for if they take it and they use these tools that we talked about, take these tools that they've learned in overcoming adversity and performing every day and having to persevere and having to prepare and having to know that there are other people depending on me. You take those tools and you use them in your everyday life.
0: Well, I like that because in competitive sports like football or basketball or hockey, you've got opponents that are trying to prevent you from moving forward, right? Yes. And that's actually, those are two topics in the Move the Ball book that I talk about specific to football. I talk about being aware of the blind side and recognizing the blitz because you yeah. have people and circumstances that are trying to prevent your forward progress. Yes. And so completely agree. I mean, there's just so <laughs> many things you take away from football that you use to be successful that I've taken. In a way to you know be successful in my own mm-hmm. way. And so I'm just so fortunate that I was exposed to football at such a young age, while again not growing up in a football family, so that I could learn these lessons from an exciting sport as well. Yes. So let's talk about your journey at Nebraska. You obviously had a great career there and then continued to have an amazing career in the NFL. What was your experience like playing college football at Nebraska in the 80s?
1: Well, a 17-year-old young man coming from a dysfunctional family, leaving New Jersey in 1980 and going to Lincoln, Nebraska. Well, imagine that. <laughs> it was a Not only was it a culture shock. And you know what? The story is really interesting because for me coming out of high school, I, my intentions never were to go to college. As a 17-year-old, I was done with school. I didn't want to have anything else to do with school. But myself, Mike Rozier, who's Heisman Trophy winner, we were there at the University of Nebraska at the same time. We grew up together. Our families were very close. His grandmother lived right next door to me. Hmm. And even though in my rebellion against college, Mike and I were being recruited by the same schools. My mother said, you know what? No one's ever been to college. No one's ever gone to college in our family. You're the first. You should go. You have a scholarship. It's paid for. Your education is paid for. You need to go. So when they started recruiting me, because we were being recruited, Mike and I, by the same schools, I told the recruiters, Solich, Frank Solich is who recruited me from the University of Nebraska. I told them, listen, you don't have to recruit me. Recruit Mike. Wherever Mike goes, that's where I'm going. (laughs) And that's really how I ended up at the University of Nebraska. And Mike had it narrowed down between the University of Pittsburgh and the University of Nebraska. And Mike had to go to a JUCO, his first year. He didn't come our freshman year. He went to a JUCO first. And I think he decided that University of Nebraska had a better JUCO program, which was at Coffeeville, Kansas. So he ended up going to Coffeyville my freshman year. Then he came and joined us my sophomore year. But it was interesting because I really had no intentions on going <laughs> into college. I had a couple of uncles that very close to, they were both Marines. They were both in the service. And one served in Vietnam and he lost his legs, but I wanted to be like them. And I wanted to go into the Marines and I wanted to be a Marine pilot. There was something Mm -hmm. about airplanes that just I fantasized about. It just intrigued me very much as a young man. And I wanted to be a Marine pilot. And that was my intention when I got to the University of Nebraska. Meteorology is what my major was when I first started there because I was going to go graduate from the University of Nebraska and go into the Marines as an officer and fly jets. But that didn't happen.
0: <laughs> well, I can I can relate to that because I wanted to be an Air Force pilot, a fighter pilot. Oh, as right. I was a kid. See, that's why we clicked. Yes. That's why we
1: clicked. That's yeah. <laughs> yes,
0: didn't go that path. I am an Army lawyer, so I'm a Judge Advocate serving. So, you know, I did get to do another form of military service, nice. and I appreciate your uncle's service as well. Mm-hmm. So you're at Nebraska you transition into the NFL. You're the first overall pick. How do you feel the Nebraska program prepared you for that next level of being a professional football player and being, you know, a top draft pick too?
1: Well, just the level of professionalism and excellence at the University of Nebraska. When I went to the New England Patriots, it was kind of like a step backwards in terms of facilities, in terms of things that were available to you. I had much more available to me that would enhance my ability to play football, enhance my mental capacity at the University of Nebraska. So the transition in terms of the external factors were pretty much a step backwards for me. Now, obviously, in the NFL, they got all these great facilities now, but that wasn't the case back then. It was a step backwards for me. But when you think about it, I was a wingback at the University of Nebraska, mm-hmm. which which pretty much I blocked for Mike. <laughs> And so part of that Heisman Trophy is mine, Uh, but I I was a blocker for Mike and I didn't run routes. I wasn't standing up on two feet. I was down in three point stance when I was split out and we didn't practice really that much running routes. My one on one during practice was blocking defensive ends and blocking linebackers from my three point stance. But then I was drafted, number one, as a wide receiver. So it wasn't like I had this whole plethora of Ability to run routes and get open. I could catch the ball very well, but that's not what I did. I ran the ball. I blocked. I caught the ball every now and then. But I guess in New England, they saw me as an athlete. They saw me with the ability to do whatever they assigned me to do. So that was amazing to me for me to come out as a wingback, but to be drafted the number one pick in the NFL as a wide receiver. And this is an interesting story as well, because when I finished at the University of Nebraska, remember, my plan was to go into the military. So I was not interested in going into the NFL. I really wasn't. I didn't want that. You know, that wasn't my dream growing up to be an NFL player. None of that. I wanted to be a Marine. And they were talking about me going into the NFL. But at the end of my senior year, when I went back home to be with my mother and my sisters and my father, I couldn't find them, they were homeless. They didn't have a house. So again, my mother, (laughs) she cornered me. She said, listen, they're talking about drafting you. You need to get drafted because you need to help us out. You need to take care of the family. And that's what I did. I went into the draft. I said yes, because at first I was saying no. The Cincinnati Bengals had the first pick that year originally. And then the New England Patriots did some kind of finagling, trading, whatever they did to get themselves in that first slot. So then I went into the NFL. And took care of my mom. I've been taking care of my mama ever since.
0: Good for you. And as you know, the NFL has changed over the years, not only in terms of style of play, but also the business of football and then just how yes. social media and the media in general has changed the environment of professional football. Yes. Right? So how has that changed? And you know, as being the number one pick in 84, how is that different of an experience from what you see with guys going, you know, number one overall today?
1: Well, it was pomp and circumstance. They had all of that good stuff, celebration, and you know they brought guys in. It wasn't nearly then what it is now, obviously, because social media has grown, technology has advanced tremendously since 1984. We didn't have cell phones back then. Come on, we still had the phones with the rotary, and you know (laughs) the phone was connected to the wall and all of that. We didn't have that stuff. Computers were the size of a room, so the whole pomp and circumstance was different. Yes, they brought me in, and actually, for me. I had already signed my contract before the draft. I signed my contract on April 10th, I believe it was, of that particular year, which was about a month before the actual draft took place, I believe. I'm not sure how many days it was, but I actually had signed my contract and received my signing bonus and all of that before the draft. So for me, it was just going through the motions. I showed up. They already knew that I was the number one pick, so I just had to show up. And make an appearance. And then we got back in the car and went back home. (laughs) But it wasn't nearly what it is today. They prep it up and they, you know, advertise about it. And it's just a big old show where they put a lot of money into it. It's a major, major, major event every year when it comes to the draft.
0: And how prepared do you think you were for, you know, college football? It's a business in its own right, a little bit different back in the 80s than it is now. NFL is a business, as we know. Like, how prepared were you for the business of this profession coming out of college and making that transition into the league?
1: I wasn't prepared at all. Not at all. The NFL is doing a great job of preparing these college athletes for the responsibility in moving to the next level in their transition from college to professional football. Mm -hmm. So they have programs in place now that help the mindset of these young athletes. But back then, there were no programs. I didn't know anybody, wasn't familiar with anybody who had ever taken that journey before. Mm -hmm. So I really pretty much was on my own and to the fault of that whole situation, given the fact that you know I'm this NFL player, I've got a little bit of money now. People pretty much didn't give me advice they just kind of followed me and let me do whatever it is I wanted to do. And that wasn't good either because I didn't know what I was doing. Mm-hmm. So um, for me, I didn't have any guidance. I didn't have a, a mentor. I didn't have someone to tell me or to show me, to advise me, to point me in the right direction. I had to try to figure it out and I never really figured it out, mm-hmm. but I tried, had to try to figure it out via a lot of mistakes. Be a lot of mistakes because if you don't have that guidance, and like I said, there's a lot of programs that are made available that are even kind of mandatory for some of these young athletes now that the NFL provides. But if you don't have that guidance, you come from a dysfunctional background, which a lot of us do. We all have dysfunction in our family, in our upbringings, in our mentalities, our mindsets, our psyche. And then you throw a bunch of money, particularly these days, all the money they're making now, you throw money on top of that, man, that's throwing Gas on a fire, (laughs) throwing gas on a fire.
0: For sure. And what do you think the biggest uh, eye-opening experience was for you or the biggest struggle as you transitioned into the league?
1: For me, I never saw myself as a professional athlete. I always saw myself as Irving Fryer from Mount Holly, New Jersey, and people didn't see me that way. Mm -hmm. So because people didn't see me that way and people don't see professional athletes as normal, As just the guy who grew up down the street and because they don't see there's a certain perception, there's a certain expectation that people have from you. And it's those expectations are high. And I always carried myself like I was that 17 year old kid graduating out of Rancocos Valley High School in Mount Holly. And I never, never really changed my mentality to understand the weight that I was carrying and the responsibilities that went along with it.
0: Now you played in the league for 17 years, as we talked about mm-hmm. a very long career, much longer than the average, the average NFL career in the eighties was longer than it is today, but you certainly have surpassed any average career for an NFL player. Like what were you doing to ensure your longevity in the league?
1: Well, at the beginning of my career, I wasn't doing anything. <laughs> I was, <laughs> I was just ripping and running all of the time. And then, you know, probably about maybe midway through my career is when the athletes started training all season long and they started, you know, talking about eating right and exercising and special training and specific position training and all that kind of stuff. And that's when the game actually began to change, particularly from a running first, passing second game, old fashioned smash mouth football to this throw the ball 70 times in a game type of league now that we have. So all of that kind of started midway through my career. My first half of my career was old school, smash mouth. And that's what I did in New England. I was a blocker. I caught the ball every now and then. There was another receiver, Stanley Morgan, some other receivers. We didn't catch a whole lot of balls. But the change, it was gradual. And as the league changed and athletes changed, I changed to keep up with that. So again, at first for me, I wasn't doing anything to create longevity. But midway through my career, of course, the training during the offseason and trying to eat right and the mentality that you needed to have to go out and play and prepare to play and play at a high level, that started transitioning for me. But the reality of the situation, and this is just me, this is just my philosophy. It's old school. They don't do this (laughs) today. But for me, playing a long time was just a mindset. You know, I played with injuries. I played with pain. I played hurt. I played at times when I shouldn't have been playing. They say there's a fine line between being tough and being stupid. And a lot of times I thought I was being tough, but I was really being stupid. But God took care of me and I never really got any injuries to the point where I had to retire or anything that's really hindering me now in terms of my daily activities. But it really was for me a mindset that I'm not going to get hurt, that I'm going to play every play. And that's different now too.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: If you look at my career, For those 17 years, the number of offensive plays that were executed on the field, I didn't come out of the game. I probably played 90 plus percent of the offensive plays on every team that I played on every year. So for me, it was a mentality and that whole routine of exercising and preparing yourself with specific trainers and doing all that kind of stuff that they do now. And obviously, we didn't have bands and things like that that they have now. That started for me about halfway through.
0: And there's something else that you mentioned that I wanted to bring up. When you were talking about being drafted by New England, you had mentioned that they picked you up as a wide receiver, but that's not yeah. what you had really played in college. Right. And a number of guys that have had on the show before will talk about understanding your role on the team and your assignment and the value that you bring to the team is important. And that's helped them to be able to continue their longevity in the league. And so you also mentioned just a few minutes ago about how you would change when things change as well, the environment change. And I think it's important for people know no matter whether you're a football player or someone off the field to recognize the environment that you're in and the changes that might occur. And how do you continue to bring value in those changing environments? And so, and then doing what you need to do to ensure that you're bringing that value, right? In your right. case, it's about, you know, the nutrition, the exercise, the therapy, all of those things for us off the field, you know, how are you bringing value to your teams? If you're in the corporate, or even as if you're the boss, right, you're an entrepreneur, like what are you doing? How are you showing up to yeah. be? Able to continue to move forward? And are you focused on the right things? Are you working on the right skills that are going to help you to continue to advance and be successful in your career, in your business, or whatever?
1: That's right. Because the world continues to change. Yes. And we have to be able to adapt to those changes. I mean, I'll go back to the church. It's one of the biggest challenges we have right now in the church. COVID obviously shut a lot of things down. No, not a lot of things, everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Put everything on pause. It really did. And particularly for us who are pastoring, those of us who have churches, it changed the game for us. Yes. Instead of coming to the sanctuary and having worship services in person, most churches weren't able to do that. And we had to start doing things virtually. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people weren't able to keep up with that. We had to change. Well, no, I'm not going to do this. Not going to do this the way we've always done. No, no, you have to change with the times. And now that we're virtual, now we're back in person, but we also have to maintain that virtual presence Because there are people who are watching my services now all across the country that weren't watching before. Not that we've got these great numbers of people. We don't. But we've been able to minister to people now virtually because times change and we adapted and we continue to present that value, to present values to people, to present value to the gospel. What do you bring to the table as you adapt? You can't just if you always do what you've always done, you're always going to get what you've always gotten and you always be where you've always been. And that's stuck in the same place.
0: Right, I love that. I love. Can you write that down for me and send, uh, and send that uh, to uh, me? Uh.
1: I'll text it to you. Thank you. No, I thought that was <laughs> great.
0: But but you're absolutely right. I mean, when you were seeing businesses that don't adapt and so they go by the wayside, right? I mean, right. IBM yeah. was one of those yeah. that in, in the 80s was a great company for, a, well, they did not adapt. And so they kind of went through their point up. and then yeah. they reinvented themselves, got more in the analytics. They had Watson and all those things now, but there was a right. period that they did not change when the times required it. And change right. isn't bad, especially with, you know, going virtual too. I mean, yes, you didn't have people you could see face to face, but now you can reach people across across. across the nation, across the globe, because because you're using technology.
1: Yes. It's adapt and adjust. You know, change is not always bad. There are some things, yes, that change that aren't necessarily good. And don't get me wrong, you know, people use technology for the wrong reasons. You know, people use these virtual meetings and virtual appearances for the wrong reasons. There are people who are not doing the right things with them, but you can use the advancement of technology to enhance whatever it is you're doing and do it the right way and do it for a good purpose.
0: For sure. And I mean, just from a podcasting standpoint, you're a podcaster, I'm a podcaster. There are some podcasts that only record in person. It's harder to do it in person because logistically people either need to be in your area or they have to travel. Whereas if you use technology to record, then you can connect with anybody across the globe.
1: Anywhere at any time. Yes. Technology is phenomenal. It's just phenomenal. (laughs) For a while, I was doing services here from my studio so I could see all the comments and respond to the comments. And there would be people in the state of Washington, you know, on watching the service. And I would just be in awe of technology. I'm like, wow, there's somebody all the way in Washington, all the way on the other side of the United States who's right here in my studio. Mm-hmm. So it's just yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing.
0: Yeah, it's great. And I guess I'll just share you made me think about this very different, but I was on an entrepreneur magazine webinar as an attendee and I thought, okay, it's going to be a lot of people. I'm just going to listen and learn what I can from the speaker. Well, it ended up being a very small webinar just five people. So very intimate type of, you know, conversations, right, right. great great group setting one-on-one or, you know, small group chat. And so I was sharing a little bit about me and the move the ball movement and the Move the Ball book. And one of the other people chimes in in the chat and he's like, i read that book. Wow. And so I'm a complete stranger and didn't know him. He basically said there was an assistant AD at a D1 school had given him the book to read. And of course I was just on a high, but you know I mean? You just never know who you can reach, who you can impact, but it's through technology that allows you to connect with people that you may never have gotten to meet face-to-face.
1: Yeah, it's just awesome. Yep, it's awesome.
0: For sure. So I want to talk just a little bit more about your football career. So you mm-hmm. played for the Patriots for many, many years, included yes. in your time with the Patriots. You got to play in the Super Bowl against my team, the Chicago Bears. And fortunately for me, Boo. we had a favorable
1: outcome.
0: Okay. <laughs> 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 but what was it like? I mean, being able to play, I mean, it's a, it, that's the big deal, right? Like everybody wants to try to get to the Super Bowl. It's the biggest stage on the biggest platform yeah. in the NFL. What was it like playing in the Super Bowl?
1: Well, obviously it's a- a bad memory for me, uh, I'm
0: sorry,
1: <laughs> but, uh, but I mean, and that's how I am, you know, for the most part, when people ask me about my career, you know, I don't ponder the good things that happen, you know, touchdowns and games we won, we just squeaked through or whatever. I ponder the bad things that happened actually in my career when I dropped this ball here or that happened. Or, and I use that as motivation. Mm-hmm. So I don't drop the ball when I'm doing what I'm doing in other areas of my life. What I remember about that game, and I happened to see it probably maybe about a year ago, was on TV on some of the flashback games they put on TV. We played bad. We won a roll. We were a wild card team in the playoffs. We went on the road, won all these games, and we really did not play within our character. We fumbled the ball, we threw a couple of interceptions, we dropped balls. I think we came into that game making more of the game. I mean, we knew it was the Super Bowl. But we kept saying that to ourselves. The coaches kept saying that to us. And we went into the game just really not overprepared, but exhausted from the couple of weeks we had to prepare for the game about how big the game was. We didn't approach it like it was just you hear people say, well, it doesn't matter how big the game is. you got to approach it mentally and psychologically like it's just a regular game because that's what it is. got to go out and perform like you do in a regular game. Don't think too much of it. And I think we put too much weight and too much focus into the fact that it was the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. and we just went and I believe we tried too hard. We tried to do too much. We put way too much into it and we ended up stepping on our own toes and tripping ourselves. So that's really what I remember of that game, but the bears, I'm not so sure anybody would have beaten them back then. They were a great team. Walter Payton, the refrigerator, those cats were great. It was a learning experience for us, but it was a bad time. It was a bad game. Well, I'm
0: <laughs> yes, sorry to I bring too, up that so memory. I'm grateful.
1: Listen, I'm grateful because in my 17 years in the NFL, that was the only time I got to a Super Bowl. Never got close after that. And hats off to the, I mean, these teams that go to the Super Bowl, Tom Brady, New England Patriots, they go again and again and again. Even the Buffalo Bills, Back in the 90s, when they went four seasons in a row, they played in the Super Bowl. They didn't win, but just to get there four seasons in a row, they were the best team in the NFL during that era, though they did not win a Super Bowl. And then there you have guys who happen to wind up on a team the right place at the right time. They might even be on the practice squad, and that team goes to the Super Bowl, and they're walking around with the Super Bowl ring. So you do have to cherish the moment, and I do cherish the fact that we did make it. I did catch a touchdown. In the Super Bowl, I'm the first New England Patriot to ever catch a touchdown pass in the Super Bowl. So yes. I, I can hang my hat on that. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it was it was an experience. I think we just really overplayed that and really made too much of it and really did not play down at the level that we really could have played at or what that we were playing. Made a lot of mistakes. A lot of mistakes.
0: I love the perspective of, you know, just cherishing the moments. Not everybody gets to make it to a Super Bowl. And I had a guest on the show in season one who played Major League Baseball, played for the Philadelphia Phillies, went to the World Series. They did not win. And, you know, they, they have rings for the team, the non winning team. And, and, you know, he had his ring and he had his ring and he was just like, man, this sucks. I get to wear it. not the winning ring. Right. And someone had commented to him about the ring it was someone that he looked up to during his playing career. And he was like, you might not have won. But in my 20 years playing Major League Baseball, I never made it to a World Series. And so, you know, you just need to appreciate the moment for what it is, even if the outcome was not favorable or the way that you want it. And and that's whether you're playing a Super Bowl, a World Series, or just going through life. When we don't have the outcomes that we want, that doesn't mean that we waste the moments. right? Right. We appreciate those. We take what we can from those experiences.
1: We should be able to be content. We're always trying to move the ball. Yes. We're always trying to get better. We're always trying to do better. We're always trying to advance, go to another level. But we also have to be able to take the time to smell the roses and appreciate and be content, not satisfied, but be able to be content with where we are. For sure. And what we have. Yeah. So, yeah, I do appreciate it because a lot of people remember that game. A lot of people bring that game up. And I try not to be negative about it. <laughs> but I mean, there's no positive for us because we lost the game. But, yeah, I got a chance to meet and play against Walter Payton. I mean, that cat was phenomenal. He was a great man, not just a great football player, but he was a great man. I got a chance to play against one of the greatest teams that ever played in the Super Bowl, and that was the Bears.
0: Absolutely. You won't find any disagreement from me on that characterization. <laughs> it was definitely a great, well, what's, great hey, team.
1: Well, what's going on with him now?
0: <laughs> well, yeah, we'll, well. See. We're, we're cherishing the moments. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <We're>
0: cherishing. The <laughs> I moments. was
1: just talking to somebody yesterday at a golf tournament they brought that game up and they were mentioning the Chicago fans. He said, they still talk about that game. Here we are. He's like, what have they done lately? I'm like, well, they haven't done anything lately, but they still talk about that game. It was a great game. It was a great season. Great. Super Bowl shuffle. Absolutely. You guys came up with the Super Bowl shuffle. Yeah. Well, so now
0: A lot of people don't know that the Super Bowl shuffle did not happen after the Super Bowl. It actually happened during the season. They had just yeah. lost to Miami, right? I mean, Bears right. were undefeated. They played Miami. Yep. They lost, you know, and so it was kind of embarrassing for them and mm-hmm. so the question was, well, do we continue on with the shuffle, you know, or not? Right. And so yes. they did the dance. It was to raise money for charity for the homeless, and right. so it was right. a great cause. But a lot of people don't know that history. It wasn't after right. they won. No, it was it before. No, yeah, we
1: they were doing the shuffle before the Super <laughs> Bowl. Right. right. So I mean, I
0: think why people talk about that a lot is not it wasn't just about the Super Bowl victory itself. It was about that team, the personalities on that right. team that just made it, they're great people, you know, and and. So, and so right. some of them were characters as well.
1: Yes, 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 <laughs> yes. And they did something that was very unusual by putting a 400 pound man <laughs> in the backfield and handing him the ball. Yes. <laughs> and he could move too. My goodness. Can you imagine? I remember there was a play at the goal line. The Forge had the ball. He went through the line. Magruder was our linebacker's name. And he hit Magruder, and Magruder was knocked out. Mm. Can you imagine that amount of weight (laughs) moving at that speed with that kind of force trying to stop it?
0: I think the other thing that made the Bears a great team is that fans could really connect to the personalities of the players on the team. Whereas in today's day, you've got social media and yeah, I mean, you can interact right on Twitter or Instagram or whatever with players and see windows in their life. You didn't have that social media back then, but people still felt like they were connected to even if they didn't know them. Right. Like you felt that connection to those players
1: well, Jim McMahon was quite the character
0: yes yeah, yes yeah, yes he was <laughs>
1: Well, I should say he is quite character.
0: For sure. For sure. (laughs) Have you ever
1: met him before? I
0: have not. But hopefully one day I'll I'll get a chance to meet him.
1: Be prepared. Okay. Okay.
0: (laughs) So let's talk about your transition beyond football. So the time has come. You've obviously had a great career. We already talked about, you know, 17 years in the league. I mentioned when I read your bio, five-time pro bowler, had multiple thousand yard seasons. Like the time has come. You're hanging up the cleats. What's next for you? You obviously, you know, have gone into the world of ministry as well, but talk to us about that journey.
1: Well, at first, ministry was not a focus. Ministry was not the target. When I first retired, I went into football analysis at CNNSI, and it was myself, Trev Alberts, who is now the AD at the University of Nebraska, Mm -hmm. and uh, Bob Lorenz. It was down in Atlanta, and we did a show every uh, Sunday morning live from 9 to 10 o'clock was live. So I was doing that and then it was going well. And that's kind of what I thought I was going to be doing, getting ready to sign my next year's contract. And then AOL came in, bought out CNNSI and shut everything down. Mm -hmm. So then I took a job here locally in Philadelphia with uh, WPVI, ABC, Channel 6. And I was kind of a sports beat guy with the Eagles and all the sports here in Philadelphia. And I did that for a year. And then the Lord spoke and said, he called me to pastor the church. I was already ministering. I was always already licensed as a minister, but then he spoke and called me to pastor. And I had an issue. (laughs) I had a challenge in front of me because now WPVI wanted to make me the weekend anchor for sports. That's what they wanted me to do. But the weekends are church. So I had to make a decision. I hope and pray that I chose the right thing. (laughs) But had had I chosen, you know, to do the weekend anchor, I would have been doing it. I could have been retired by now and had a nice pension, (laughs) but I'm still with the church. (laughs) So I chose, I did what God said do. And I just couldn't do both. If they had kept me during the weekly grind that I was doing and the weekly program going and interviewing guys and coming back and putting clips together, I could have continued to do that. But as a weekend anchor, and pastoring, I was not going to be able to do both. So I obeyed the Lord and we started the church. And I've been pastoring ever since. Pastoring's tough. It's a tough job. It's a thankless job. It, you don't feel appreciated. Those of us who, you know, put, The time in and the effort in to prepare sermons and to be there for the people, whether it's for funerals, whether it's for consultation, visitation, whatever it is, we're there for the people. But um, it's been challenging, to Mm -hmm. say the least, I should say. And to be honest with you, yes, I've actually from time to time questioned, why did I do this? You know, why should I have just gone back and done the TV and been the sports analyst? I could be well off, you know, right now and retired and nice second pension and all that. But churches it's a challenge. At times we struggle. Mm -hmm. And I guess it's been great because we have to depend on God. Mm -hmm. And I totally depend on God. God makes it happen when things are not going the way they should go or when there's a need that the church has and we don't have the funds to make it happen. God always comes through. So I'm living in God's grace. I'm living dependent upon God, but I sure have that. <laughs> well, what could have, should have, would have sure. been had I moved in a different direction. It's one thing to be in God's perfect will, and it's another thing to be in his permissive will. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure he would have permitted me to go in that direction, but it's better to be in God's perfect will. I know what God's perfect will for me is to pastor and to continue pastoring, though it may not be as good, glamorous as I would like it to be, or though it may not be as comfortable as I would like it to be, I'm still in the North's hands. And, being in the God's hands is a good place to be. That's the right place to be. And I think Mm
0: -hmm. there comes a time in many of our lives where we have to make those tough decisions, right? Like what's the path? Which way are we going to go? Which direction? And then in the back of our head, when we're going through those times of struggle or adversity, you're like, why Mm -hmm. did I do that? (laughs) Should I have done that, right? So, But I, I guess the other thing too is like, you don't know what that path would have taken either. I mean, yeah, it sounds good on paper, right? Like, oh, I should have said, but you have no idea what that journey would have looked like. You have no idea if you would have been happy on that journey. But what you do know is that you've been through this experience and you've cherished some moments and you've learned and grown and, you know, hopefully it's been a happy journey as well. And you know what? I mean, for some people, if it isn't, then you pivot and you adjust and you go do something else, right? right? If you're not in a spot, but sometimes we beat ourselves up over, oh, I should have done something different. And it's like, well, Maybe, but you don't know how that would have turned out either. So,
1: yep. And I say that to myself when I have those moments, I say, you don't know what was going to happen if you had gone in that direction. It could have right. been crazy. You, you know, anything could have happened. You don't know. So you're in the moment. Stay in the moment. You're in God's will. Things are okay. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're not like what you imagined they would be like, but you're still, everything's all right. You're good.
0: Right. Right. Exactly. There are times for me, I mean, being an entrepreneur is ups and downs. And yes. there are days I'm like, you know, I had a great paying corporate job and I chose to leave it, you know? And so, but what again, doing? What, what was I, was I thinking doing? about? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. What was I thinking about? But then you have to look at like, what are all the great things that I've been able to do? Because right. I've been on this journey. I would not have been able to do many of those had I stayed mm-hmm. in the environment that I was in, especially with this movie ball brand, where, it, where it's at, the impact that we've made, the great people I've gotten to connect right. with. And yeah. so, I mean, You can't put a price tag on that stuff. And yeah, you can look at like the financial piece of it, right? And you can compare those things. But when you look at the experiences, you have to look at that value as well.
1: That's much more valuable than any dollar amount.
0: Exactly. You can always make more money, Mm -hmm. as they
1: say. Here's another one. I don't know if you heard this before. Money doesn't make me. I make money.
0: I like it. I've not heard it, but I think it's great. And it's so true as well.
1: Yeah. We can go make money. Yeah, we can go make money.
0: Right. So let's talk about your podcast, since you are a fellow podcaster. I know you've been <laughs> doing it here for about a year, a little bit over yes. a year. It's called yes. The Friar Place. Like, Why did you want to get into podcasting and tell us a little bit more about your show?
1: Well, again, it started in a different area. Going back to COVID and the church, when COVID hit and everything got shut down, as we began to... We had just started at that time creating a presentation virtually. And we were doing it with my phone and my sister's phone. So her phone would be on Instagram and my phone would be on the church's Facebook page. And we were doing our virtual services live via our phones. Then COVID hit. So now we have to go completely virtual. So I was able to get an investor who came in and invested money in our services so that we were able to get cameras and everything we needed to make it look real professional Mm -hmm. virtually. So we did that. Now it looks good. Sounds good. Everything's good. We're competitive <laughs> with some of the other ministries because in this day and age, people listen to what they see. And let me say that as they're scrolling on their phone, whether it's YouTube or Facebook, they have that little icon. That's the horn. They have the slash to it because the volume is off. Mm-hmm. But as they're scrolling, they see something that's interesting. Then they hit that little horn, and they start listening to it. So if your presentation doesn't look good, they're not going to stop and listen to it. So they listen to what they see. So we had it down at the church. But for Bible studies, I was still doing (laughs) Bible study with my phone at home. Mm -hmm. And I wanted the same quality for Bible study that I had in the church. So I searched around. I found a pastor friend of mine who was doing this. I use a software called Ecamm. He was using Ecamm. He was home. It looked great, great sound, great picture. So I started investing in Ecamm, originally building the studio for the church. Mm -hmm. Then the Lord spoke again. He said, listen, go ahead and start a podcast. What am I going to call it? Call it the Place, where the conversations are fire. What is it going to be about God? Well, it's going to be about, you you know, people, yes, you got celebrities and you got uh, sports figures, but you know, a lot of people, psychologists, you know, financial experts, people who have stories that have adversity, but they have the triumphs that come afterwards. So that's what the Friar Place is about. Mm -hmm. It's about real life stories, real life challenges, and the triumphs that come on the flip side when God turns it around. This was a good one. I had Andre Reed on one time, Mm -hmm. and Andre sent me a clip of him being baptized in the Jordan River.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And I was able to throw that up and show that to the people during the podcast. And we go live. We're live every Friday at 12 noon Mm -hmm. Eastern Standard Time. And the reason I'm live, I have some great people on. We get a chance to interact with the people live so the people can ask their questions. I throw it up on the screen and my guests can actually respond to their question as opposed to them, you know, just seeing it at some point and not really being able to interact with the people. So it's been great. It's been great. We just reached a thousand subscribers. My goal was to do that in a year. It took us a year and two months to do it, but we got it done. And we're going to continue to move forward. It's called The Fireplace. It's on YouTube. You go to YouTube. And search the Friar Place, that's F-R-Y-A-R, search the Friar Place, and please subscribe. Like you say, hit the like button, hit the subscription button and uh, notifications button so you won't miss the show.
0: And we will be sure to have your show in our show notes so that way people can check out your show as well. So what I wanna do now to close our show is I wanna run you through my two minute drill and ask you some fun questions. Are you ready? I think so. <laughs> First question is, when you were 10 years old, what did you wanna be when you grew up?
1: I want to be a Marine.
0: Next question is What three words would you use to describe yourself?
1: Determined, consistent, loving.
0: Great three words. What is one thing that most people don't know about you?
1: That I'm pretty insecure.
0: Oh, okay. If you had one intro song played at all of your public appearances, what would that one song be?
1: Atomic Dog.
0: That's a good song <laughs> back in the day. <laughs> what book are you currently reading or what podcast are you currently listening to?
1: today i'm reading the bible i mean i read it every day
0: good that's a good choice next question is you're hosting a dinner party and you can invite three famous people living or deceased who would you choose and why
1: michael jordan tiger woods and serena williams and it's obvious why
0: (laughs) (laughs) yes great three choices and i'm glad that you had a female a woman Uh in there too an amazing one next question is do you sing in the shower
1: yes (laughs)
0: <laughs> okay. So the next question is, would your kids or significant other, would they say that you're good?
1: They wouldn't say that I'm good, but they will say I can carry a tune.
0: Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. And so as we look to end the show, any last thoughts for our listeners? Well,
1: I like this whole theme that you have here. Continue to move that ball. Don't stay dormant. Don't stay idle. Don't get stuck where you are. Time continues to move. I told a guy yesterday at the golf tournament, Today is September 12th at 12 noon. You've never ever seen that before and you'll never ever see it again. Mm -hmm. The time comes and the time goes. Let's make the most of our time because life is a vapor. Yes. I'll be 60 years old in a few days. I was 25 years old. It seems like yesterday, just a few years ago. Time flies and you have to enjoy life. Don't get stuck where you are. Don't necessarily be satisfied where you are. Always try to improve yourself. You're going to have obstacles. That's life. That's just the way it goes. But our obstacles are what builds our strength. Our obstacles are what develops us. Our obstacles are what makes us better. And our obstacles, the things that we deal with in life, also shows us and defines our relationships. When you have a fall or you have an issue, Mm -hmm. that will help you understand who's with you and who's not with you. Yes. And when somebody has shown you they're not with you believe them believe it and move on yep anytime one of those spaceships they send to the moon (laughs) anytime it goes to the next atmosphere something drops off yep and for a lot of us for us to go to the next level for us to move forward to make the advances that we need oftentimes somebody something has to drop off for us to go to the next level so believe what it is when people show you if they're not with you I don't want you to leave, but if you got to go, bye. Adios. Keep it moving. Keep it moving.
0: For sure. I love that because, you know, we've talked about my new book coming up and there's a chapter in there. The title is called With or Without You.
1: You know, we're like right here. We didn't, because we didn't talk about this (laughs) and we're like right here.
0: We are. Yes. And so th- the book is all about, there are people that are meant to be on the journey with you. There are people that aren't, and there are people that are meant to be there for a certain point in time and that's it, or a certain duration. And then th- their it. time is done right. and you know, not all relationships continue in perpetuity. Right. And so that chapter is all about that.
1: We try to make some people permanent lifers when they're just temporary.
0: Right. Exactly. We do
1: that in life all the time. We take something that's supposed to be temporary in our lives and we try to make it permanent. Yes. And then we, we end up frustrated.
0: Right. Well, Irv, thank you so much for being on the show today. You have dropped so many, many, many nuggets, and obviously we are alike, (laughs) so appreciated our conversation even more uh, just because we we do vibe on the same wavelength, and uh, I know you're going to keep moving the ball.
1: I'm going to keep moving the ball. You do the same, Jen.
0: Perfect. Before we end today's show, I just wanted to mention one more thing that I'm excited about. Later this year, in December, you will find Irv, his fellow teammate from Nebraska, and Heisman Trophy winner, Mike Razier. We mentioned Mike earlier in the show. And you will also find me in Wichita, Kansas, as we will be attending the Circle of Stars Academy end-of-the-year banquet and awards ceremony. I spoke at this event last year, along with five-time Super Bowl champ Pepper Johnson. It's such an incredible event and a wonderful opportunity to recognize some amazing high school athletes who definitely know how to move the ball. I just want to give a big shout out to Eric Anderson and to the Circle of Stars Academy team. They do a phenomenal job with the organization. They've been around for over 25 years now, and they're definitely making an impact. Now, there will be an autograph signing event the day before the banquet with Irv and Mike, and I will also be there signing my new book, Dominate the Game. And also, I will have copies of my Move the Ball book there as well, too. So stay tuned on social media. If you are in the area and you want to attend this event, I'll certainly be posting more about it as the date gets closer. And you can also check out the show notes as there are links to the Circle of Stars Academy social media. They will also be posting on their website and other social channels about this event. And if you're interested, as the date gets closer, keep an eye out for it. It's at the beginning of December. And if you're around, we'd love to see you there. All right. Thank you to everyone for listening to today's episode. Once again, if you have not already done so, hit that subscribe button so that you don't miss a future episode. And we're coming to the close of season three of the show. So you want to make sure you subscribe so you're in the know for when we start season four again after the Super Bowl of next year. And then also go check out the show notes. We've got a number of links. We've got links to all of Irv's stuff, his podcast. So go check that out. We've got links to the Move the Ball book, the Move the Ball merchandise store, my new book, all kinds of things. So go look at those show notes and we'll talk to you next time. Until then, make sure that you suit up, you show up and you move the ball.